There it is. <laughs> All right, but moving on. Did the microphone kick, bitch? I've been a sports fan my entire life because all of my friends are horrible people. Yes, Cam had a very bad game. Can we get that on tape? Get that overrated piece of crap out of this conversation. <laughs> are you sure you want this on tape? That's what I was transitioning <laughs> to. Big time Timmy Jim, Chris Hale, Bartello Cologne. A lot of tears and a lot of beers. I can't argue with anything you say. Hello and welcome to another episode of Late Night Shots, your favorite late night beer podcast talking about sports. And it's just me tonight, and the other guys were not able to make it, so hopefully I'll be able to bring the energy, and it'll be a little more exciting than the trade deadline was in the NFL, which is one of two mulligans we're going to talk about tonight. I was kind of torn between two, so we will start with the trade deadline. And I think people forget every year how much of a dud it is in the NFL. Just not a lot of trades go down. Um, Jalen Ramsey got dealt a couple weeks ago, and that was easily the biggest one that happened. But unlike baseball and the NBA, nothing big really happens the day of or the couple days leading up to the draft. Uh, Leonard Williams got traded from the Jets to the Giants, and that was probably the biggest name slash best player that got moved. Um, Emmanuel Sanders went from Denver to the Niners for like a second or a third and fourth round pick. And I think him and a fifth went to the Niners in return. Mohamed Sanu got moved to the Patriots for a second, which actually seems like a pretty good get for the Falcons to give, give up Sanu and get a second back. Uh, the grades I saw for that one actually gave the Falcons as the winners in the trade over the Patriots is kind of rare because the Patriots rarely ever lose trades. Um, the Jets got a third and a fifth for Williams from the Giants. At first, I didn't like this for the Giants, but talking to Landon about it, kind of started liking it for them a little bit more. Um, it's the final year of his contract if... Williams leaves in free agency that the Giants will likely get a third rounder anyway. So they'll end up just giving up a fifth for the, the chance to sign him. So it's not that bad. And meanwhile, the Jets, they said that he wasn't part of their long-term plans. He was probably going to want a big deal, and they just didn't see that happening. So they were able to get something for him. And so they get a third and a fifth in the upcoming draft instead of having to wait till next year to get a third if he left this offseason. Just not a lot big happened. Um in basketball, you see big names moved all the time. In baseball, there's just a lot of trades, and it's hard to keep up. Kind of as you sit there, maybe watching ESPN or MLB trade rumors or whatever, for the half hour after the deadline, there's stuff that's trickling in because it got done just in time. Um, and even guys like like Zach Grinke is a huge name, and he gets moved at the deadline. But in, in football, it just doesn't happen. Um, and it's kind of difficult in football because it's such a more of a short-term thing as compared to the other sports where you don't necessarily want to give up a lot for a top player. And the teams that have those top players, they want a lot in return. Um, it came out that Jamal Adams from the Jets, this top safety, is probably one of the best three to five safeties in the league. And he's got two and a half years left on his rookie deal, so it's a great contract. That the He wanted to stay in New York, but the Jets went behind his back after a meeting with him and said he was available for, available for trade, which kind of hurt his feelings. But they were asking for a ton. Supposedly, the Cowboys offered a first and a third, or a first and a second, but the Jets wanted two firsts and a second, which seems like a lot to give up. And the Cowboys are already a little short on draft capital after the Cooper trade last year. And I don't know if it's from the Texans and their GM-less squad making trades and just really mortgaging their future to try and win right now, but teams saw Miami get a lot for Tunsil and Stills, so they want even more knowing that their players are better than Tunsil and Stills, who are just a above-average tackle and an average wide receiver. And getting multiple firsts and multiple picks for those two, you'd think, yeah, I have Jamal Adams. I should be able to get multiple firsts and another pick for him. So the first part of the mulligan goes to the NFL trade deadline for just being kind of boring. But something that was definitely not boring was way more exciting was Julia Rose and Lauren Summer providing a bunch of entertainment during Game 5 of the World Series. Um, so it's 7th inning, Game 5, Garrett Cole's on the mound, and off to the left above the Chevy sign, right behind the catcher, you see these two girls in yellow shirts stand up, and girls gone wild. They flash the cameras, and they flash Garrett Cole, and first you think, well, maybe they're just like drunk or something like that, but... They're actually Instagram famous. They have 3 million and 1.5 million followers, respectively. Um, and I just found this out today that they are part of the Free the Nipple campaign, who think that 
women should be treated to the same standards as men when it comes to toplessness. Um, that was why they did it, to try and raise awareness and to raise awareness for Breast Cancer Month. But they also admitted that they did it to become more famous as well. Because if you're able to get away with flashing people at the World Series when millions and millions of people are watching, um, it's not a bad way to raise your profile online. But unfortunately for them, they were apprehended. They were escorted from their seats. And then they got a letter from Major League Baseball that banned them from all Major League events. All of them. Every stadium, every place, they're banned from every event. Um, so I don't know if they regret doing it. Um, they wanted to raise awareness. They probably got more famous at it. They're probably going to end up making a ton of money off of this. But maybe baseball just wants the mulligan for this happening. Um, if anything, it got more people watching baseball. It got these girls more money and more social following. So good for them, I guess. But uh, the mulligans this week are brought to you by Homestead. Homestead Farm and Golf in Linden, Washington. You can make sure to head out there for a free small bag of range balls when you mention late night shots before you're around. You can get some nice Cleveland and Shriction clubs and apparel while you're in there. And now that we're into the winter and late fall months, um, they have lower rates because of less sunlight when you're out there, less daytime golf. So you can get some cheaper golf. And you can head out there to check out their upcoming winter events. They're going to have some fun leagues, mini tournaments. Um, I think they might still have league going on, so you can head out there and check that out. And make sure to follow them on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on their upcoming winter events. That's Homestead Farm and Golf in Linden, Washington. All right, since it's just me, we'll kind of go through the games like we have the last couple times where it's been just me previewing, recapping, uh, maybe talking a little bit about the World Series that's going on because it is now the top or middle of the eighth inning now, and Washington had a nice seventh inning, I think. They scored four runs, and they're up five to two, so they're looking to force game seven and keep the road teams going because the home team has not won a game so far in the World Series, which is crazy. that It's been five straight, and we're looking at maybe now six straight road wins. Did not get a road win, though, in Minnesota as Washington traveled to Minnesota to play them. Um, Minnesota took control early, and they just kind of, you never had a doubt that they were going to win this game, even though it was only 19-9. to uh, Minnesota continually got into the red zone, but they kicked four field goals and only scored one touchdown, and it was on a play to Dalvin Cook. Um, Diggs had a nice game. He had 140 yards. Cousins only threw three incomplete passes. And unlike the game at the beginning of the year, I think against Atlanta where he was 8 for 11 or something like that. In this game, he was 23-26, so he's actually throwing the ball a lot. And they probably would have put up a bunch more points if Adam Thielen was there, but he sat out with a sore hamstring. If the game was on Sunday, he likely would have played. But because it was on Thursday coming off just a few days of rest, they wanted to get him healthy because they thought they could beat Washington without him. And they proved that they could do that as they took it to the Redskins 19-9. Case Keenum. He got hurt, I think, in the second quarter or at halftime. And so Dwayne Haskins played the second half. Um, he didn't look good. That team is bad. I guess the only good thing for Washington is that Trent Williams, their left tackle, after the trade deadline concluded, he reported to the team for the first time all year. Don't know if he's going to play, but he's at least there working out and going to be with the team now. So I guess there's something good in Washington. Um, moving on to the Sunday games. Seattle was playing Atlanta, um, kind of thought Seattle would have their way with Atlanta, but at the same time, Seattle really likes to play to the level of their competition. Um, you don't see them win by a ton or they'll let teams back into it. Seattle is a 17 point difference between their talent and Atlanta's talent, but they only won this game by seven, but they really showed how much better they were than Atlanta in the first half. It was 24, nothing at halftime. Russ was having a great game. Um, Chris Carson almost hit 100 yards again. He went 20 for 90. And it was a little different for Atlanta because Matt Ryan got hurt last week. So Matt Schaub, um, you could argue he's the best quarterback named Matt on the team. He goes 39 for 52 with 460 yards. So he threw for a lot of yards against the Hawks. But most of that came in the second half because when you're down by 24 at halftime, all you're going to do is throw the ball because that's the most, that's the quickest way to score. So they had to throw a lot. Um, 460 yards, though, was a lot for the Seahawks to give up. They did trade for uh, Quandre Diggs, I think is his name. Sorry if I have that wrong, but they traded for him from Detroit at the deadline to shore up that secondary a little bit. So hopefully that will help Seattle as he gets 
acclimated to playing there and make their secondary a little bit better so this 460-yard event doesn't happen again against them. Uh, Seattle improves to 6-2 and two with Atlanta at 1-7. and seven. Atlanta looks like one of the worst teams in football right now. I know we talked about the beginning of the year. It's because of their offensive line being in shambles. But at this point, you have to wonder if they are going to kind of tank for the rest of the year and try and get one of those top three picks to improve and come out strong next year. Um, next game, the Eagles have just been up and down all year. You don't know where you're going to get week to week from them. Uh, one week, they might get destroyed by Dallas like they did last week. And then this week, they come out and take it to Buffalo, who had looked really good all year. Um, Philly ends up winning 31-13. to They were in control the entire game. Uh, they outscored the Bills in every quarter. And they just really had their way with Buffalo. Uh, Wentz didn't really have a great game, but Jordan Howard and Miles Saunders um, had a lot of offense in this game. They just did really well on the ground. Uh, Howard almost had 100 yards. Sanders had a 65-yard touchdown run, and the Eagles were able to improve to 4-4 four and four and stay within a half game of the Cowboys for the division lead in the NFC East, while the Bills fall to 5-2 and two and are now a 5 or a 6 seed in the wild card. Well, they were in the wild card anyway because of New England, but it's just a little rough for the Bills now at 5-2 and two with a kind of 7 or 8 teams right now looking like they have a shot at the AFC for a wild card or division berth. One of the teams we really thought was going to be consistent because of their top defense and all they needed was just okay offense and they have not got it is the Bears as they fall to 3-4, and four, losing to the Chargers 17-16. And if I told you that a kicker was going to miss a field goal in a Chargers game, you would expect it to be the Chargers kicker, but it wasn't the case here as Eddie Pinero missed a 41-yarder as time expired. A weird part about this is it's the second time I can remember off the top of my head this year that a coach... Um, kind of screwed up and cost their team the game for putting the kicker in a bad situation. The first one was Tampa when their coach wanted to take the penalty to put his kicker in a better position because he likes being further away, which I don't understand. In this one, I guess Pinheiro likes kicking from the right hash better than the left hash. And so the Bears took the ball to the left side of the field, so he was kicking from the side he didn't like, and he ended up hooking it just a little bit, which would have been perfect if he's kicking from the right. But because he's kicking from the left, it misses just left. And the Bears fall to 3-4 and four now. Um, in that division, they're four games behind the Packers, I think. I think the Packers are 7-1. and one. Minnesota, 6-2. and two. Um, Yeah, Packers are 7-1. and one. So you got a lot of ground to make up if you're the Bears. And there's been, There was talk today about, do the Bears trade for a new quarterback? Um, Trubisky's really struggled all year. In this one, it might have been a season high. He threw for 250 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. The Bears, this is their first game where they had over 300 yards offense. To go seven games into the season before that happens in today's game is just ridiculous, and the Bears should be able to put up more points than that. And they're they're one of the most disappointing teams in football this year. Um, three and four, they got a lot of ground to make up, and the NFC looks really strong when it comes to the playoff teams. And for the Bears, they they really need to go seven and two, eight and one. The rest of the, probably seven and two get to ten and six to have a shot at making the playoffs, because the single win team just doesn't look like they're going to make it, especially in that division. The, the Bears' only chance right now is a wild card team, and for a team that looked like one of the two or three Super Bowl favorites out of the NFC to be under five hundred at this point in the season is really disappointing. Um, the only bright spot for the Bears was David Montgomery. He goes 27 for 135 on the ground with a touchdown. Um, just a great game by him, and he was the lone bright spot for the Bears pretty much. Then you go over to the Lions and Giants game. Uh, Lions jumped out early. It was 14-0 in the first quarter. The Giants tried to paw their way back. Ended up being 31-26 as the Lions get back to 500 at 3-3-1. Three, three Giants looked like they were going to be good with Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones, where he started off with two wins, got them to two and two, but they have now lost four straight. Uh, Kenny Galladay had a great game. He goes six for 123 with two touchdowns. Stafford had a nice game, throwing for 342 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Lions were able to keep Saquon in check, only 19 carries for 64 yards, so they kept him under four yards a carry. So great job by Detroit's defense to limit him and just limit the Giants' offense and do just enough to stay at 500, and which means the Bears are in last place in that division right now, which is crazy to say at this point in the season. And then we had what we thought was going to be the battle of the one and two draft picks back in 2015. 
yeah, 2015, they're both in their fifth year and their fifth year option. But Mariota was benched a couple weeks ago during that Denver game. So it ended up being Jameis Winston versus Tannehill. Um, Tannehill got the best of Jameis in this situation as he led them to a 27-23 win, even though Mike Evans went off and he had an insane first half. I think he was 10 for 180 and two touchdowns in the first half. He ended up 11 for 198 and two touchdowns. So he didn't really do anything in the second half, which is surprising. Because all the Buccaneers can really do is throw the ball, but when you have Jameis Winston as your quarterback, it's not a good thing. Uh, he goes 21 to 43 for 301 yards and two touchdowns. So to be under 500% when you have weapons like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Cameron Brait, um, OJ Howard, you should be better than 50% passing. And Jameis just is not able to do it. And you have to think that the number one and number two picks in that draft are both going to be on new teams come next year because they have just not looked good. And I guess that makes Brad happy, at least. Somebody else on the podcast who's happy for the team they picked to continue to be good, even with their backup quarterback in, is the Colts, as they are 5-2 and two now. They beat the Broncos 15-13 to 13 on the third game the Broncos have lost this year on a field goal at the end of the game. Uh, Vinatieri missed an extra point in the, I think, early in the third quarter. So it was 12-13 to 13 instead of 13-13. But... Jacoby Brissett had an insane play down around the five where he avoided a sack and he ended up chucking it to T.Y. Hilton who made a great catch and it kind of got that drive going and it got Vinatieri to the 33-34 yard line. He made a 51-yarder with 22 seconds left to give them the lead and get them the win. Um, even though Brissett only went 15-25 to for 200 yards against that Denver defense, which is actually looking pretty good again. Um, they even held Marlon Mack to only 76 yards and a touchdown, but they just weren't able to do enough. And part of that is, according to Joe Flacco at least, the play calling and how the offense runs. Flacco ripped into the team after this game, saying that it seems like they're afraid to be aggressive. They're afraid to push the ball down the field, that they're okay settling for field goals. And he said, and we've brought this up on the podcast too, and it's kind of interesting to say, hear him say it, that it makes it hard on the defense because they don't understand the point of trying if the offense doesn't look like they're trying, that it makes it easier for them to give up big plays because they're tired and they just, they don't care as much because it seems like the offense doesn't care and it can be hard to keep your head up when stuff like that is happening. And whether it was because of that or because of an actual injury, Flacco is not playing this week because he has a neck injury supposedly. Um, so Flacco will not be playing. And Denver is going to be playing their third string quarterback. I do not know his name off the top of my head. Brandon Allen, maybe, um, as their second round pick. Drew Locke is still injured. Um, I think he's coming back week 10, week 11, something like that. I thought he was an IR designated to return. But for now, they have their third string quarterback suiting up. And to be two and six, when you easily could be five and four or five and three, I guess, or even better. It's just, it's really rough in Denver right now. And they are better than a two and six team, but I guess you are what your record is. Speaking of you are what your record is, the Bengals, they fall to 0 and 8. They only put up 10 points. Um, they're so bad. And at least London had to deal with them this week instead of the United States as this game was in London. The Bengals lost to the Rams 24 to 10. And Cooper Cup went off. Seven catches, 220 yards, and a touchdown. Um, most of Goff's offense through the air was to him as 220 of the 372 passing yards for the Rams went to Cup. And the Rams just kind of had control of this game the entire time. Even though it was 17-10 to 10 at halftime, it didn't seem close. Um, Rams scored again in the third, and then a scoreless fourth where a near, a near touchdown by Dalton in the fourth ended up being overturned which helped the Rams cover because they were 12.5-point favorites, much to the chagrin of Dave Portnoy, the guy from Barstool Sports, I think, who went off on Chris Hansen and Red Zone for not showing the replay. And he threw a big old tantrum. And then Chris Hansen went after him and called him a two-year-old and said he needed to stop whining and complaining and told him to calm down. And it was quite hilarious. Um, just at least that was hilarious because this game was anything but. It was kind of sad as are all the Bengals games. And it's even worse for Andy Dalton now because he was benched on his birthday. Today, I think, is his birthday, uh, the 29th. And he got benched. 
So he will not be starting anymore for the Bengals, and you have to wonder if it's the end of Dalton's career in Cincinnati. Another guy got benched, but this is because their quarterback is healthy again as Drew Brees took the helm once again for the Saints. They won 31-9 to over the Cardinals, and you could not tell that Brees was coming off thumb surgery on his throwing hand. He goes 34-43 for 373 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, helps when you have Michael Thomas, 11 for 112 and a touchdown. Latavius Murray just cracked 100 yards on the ground, as they were able to do this without Kamara, who sat out the second straight week. The Saints improved to 7-1, and one as they just keep chugging along, and they look like they have that division kind of wrapped up right now, which is good for them. Can they take it easy with Kamara and make sure he's healthy for the playoffs? Uh, the Jags and their mustache magic is back as Minshew leads them to a 29-15 win over the Jets. Jags improved to 4-4. Four four. Um, I think they've gone two losses, two wins, two losses, two wins so far this year. Um, I don't know if you want to call that an identity or not, but they're just trying to stay in it. And at 500, they kind of have a chance because the AFC South is up and down a lot. Um, but the Jets, they're, they're, they're tanking. They're going for it one of those top picks. They're one and six now. Their only win was against Dem Boys, and I don't know what happened in that game, but I know 92 games in a row where the Cowboys had put up the stats they did involved in that team winning until the Cowboys got the loss. But uh, Fournette had a 66-yard rush, I want to say, in this game, unless I missaw it, and it was a catch, but he ended up with 19 carries for 76 yards. Uh, Chris Conley for Jacksonville. He had four catches for just over 100 yards and a touchdown, and it was kind of nice that he showed up because D. Westbrook, I think, went down in the second quarter after only seeing one target uh, with a reoccurring shoulder injury. And then Marquise Lee, maybe? One of the Jacksonville receiver receivers got placed on IR as well, so Jacksonville is a little thin at receiver, but with that mustache magic, it was enough to get them to 4-4 four and, four and be able to stay at 500. And then what many people thought was going to be one of the games of the week, if not the game of the week, ended up being the blowout of the week, as the Panthers, after a bye, did not show up at all. They got blown out 51-13, to a score you don't hear often in football, as Tevin Coleman's four touchdowns uh, during the first half led the Niners to a just demolishment of Carolina. McCaffrey had a nice game, but it was kind of a couple long plays, busted plays and just Carolina didn't look good at all. Um, Nick Bosa was living in the backfield. He had three sacks and an interception, I think, that he almost returned for a touchdown. Uh, he was kind of more productive than all of Carolina. It was just an ugly game, and I know Landon was not happy at all. Uh, Panthers fall to four and three, and it was really a huge game that they needed. Uh, they they were trying to stay up in the division with the Saints at seven and one. They're now three games back, two and a half games back. And they're kind of back in the wild card race now too. So they got a lot of ground to make up. And meanwhile, the Niners, they're the only undefeated team in the NFC and one of two undefeated teams in football as they are seven and zero. That other undefeated team is the Patriots. They improved to eight and zero with a win over the Browns. And I don't know what is wrong with the Browns and Baker Mayfield, but that team just, they look like the Browns is what it is. Um, Mayfield had this weird play where you've seen the sh little sh um, dump-off shovel pass where if it's incomplete, it's not a fumble because it's a pass instead of like the little backwards toss. So Mayfield gets in. He does this two-hand pitch, very Waterboy reminiscent, where Bobby Boucher just throws it to the defender or to the offense because he doesn't know what's going on. That's what it looked like with Baker Mayfield. He just tossed it to the Patriots defender. And he James Woods did and was like, oh, piece of candy. And the Patriots had the ball. Uh, Mayfield, I think, leads the league in interceptions still. Uh, Chubb, he had a couple fumbles in this game. After a slow start by Cleveland, it looked like they were going to be able to pick it up. Chubb busted a run. He got down to the 15, maybe the 10-yard line, but he was not securing the ball. You could see it as the play was happening. It's like, if one of the Patriots guys comes after this ball, it's going to be a fumble. And here comes a Patriots player, and he punches the ball, and it's a fumble, and it's Patriots ball. And 17 nothing after the first quarter, and the Browns were just never able to recover as they ended up losing by 14 in this game. A game that was surprisingly entertaining was the Texans and the Raiders. Uh, Raiders were able to keep this close. They took the lead at a couple points, but the Texans ended up winning 27-24. to 
Um, the highlight of this game was the Deshaun Watson touchdown throw. Um, at first, I thought it was going to be like the one last week where they called him being in the grasp inside the 10-yard line, and his touchdown throw was overturned. But in this one, he goes to get sacked, he spins around, head low to the ground, and he whips his touchdown around. And then you find out that you hear him say he didn't even know if somebody was there. He just wanted to throw the ball, and he thought he was throwing it high enough that he'd either get caught or fly through the back of the end zone. And then you find out that he was doing it with his eye or eyes closed because he was kicked in the face on the attempted sack where his head spun down by the ground. But he was able to get them the win uh, by three points as they improved to 5-3, and three and they try and keep pace with the Colts. They're a half game back from them. Uh, Raiders have looked feisty all year. They haven't really had a bad game. You could argue last week that their loss to the Packers was bad, but they got stuffed at the one on one down, and then on another one, Derek Carr dove for the end zone and fumbled it at the one through the end zone, so they lost the ball there. So even though they lost by a couple scores, they easily could have had 14 more points and potentially taken some points off the board from the Packers that way. Uh, Hopkins had a nice game in this one, 11 catches for 109 yards. And Carlos Hyde continues to impress as he goes 19 for 83. He's averaging over four yards a carry this year. Um, him and Duke Johnson, they just seem to play well together, I guess. And they're doing that for Houston right now. Um, and then you have the Sunday night game, which was, which it was the game of the week. And it would have been one of the games of the year if Mahomes was playing in it. Unfortunately, he wasn't. But the game still ended up being really good. Packers ended up winning 31-24. to The Chiefs fall to 5-3, and which is a little surprising. And one of the other teams in the AFC West was able to show up at all. You would have a close division race, but the Raiders are a game and a half back, I think, and they're the closest to the Chiefs. Packers improved to 7-1, and one, staying just ahead of the Vikings there. Packers jumped out to a big lead in this one. They scored 14 in the first. Um, then they fell behind as the Chiefs scored 17 in the second as Moore continued to show off that second quarter Chiefs magic. Chiefs took the lead at halftime. Uh, it was tied up at 17 in the third, and then the Packers put up 14 once again in the fourth quarter to win 31-24. Aaron Jones had a huge game, but not on the ground. He was only 13 for 67 on the ground, but he was 7 for 159 and two touchdowns. Um, I think Jamal Williams, we went over this last time with Brad, uh, the backup running back, he had the other touchdown catch for the Packers as Rodgers threw for three touchdowns and 305 yards. Uh, the one touchdown to Aaron Jones was a little screen or dump off to the left, and he went untouched 60-some yards, maybe more than that as just the Chiefs had no answer for the Packers' backfield, and the Packers ran all over and received all over out of the backfield, I guess, with 250-plus yards out of the backfield um, as they took the nice win here to try and keep pace in the NFC for a home field advantage. Final game of the week, it looked like it was going to be very, very painful in Pittsburgh as Miami jumped out to a 14-0 lead in the first quarter. Um, that's not something you'd able to say very often and maybe not since the Dan Marino days that Miami jumped out to a 14-0 lead. Uh, unfortunately, they remembered who they were after that and did not score the rest of the game. It was just enough to cover the 16.5 points and they ended up losing 14-27. to uh, Pittsburgh was able to do just enough. I think they got a couple turnovers. James Conner had a really nice game, 23-145 for and a touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster had 103 yards to the air and a touchdown and a crazy kind of over-the-head shoulder catch against a defender. And I think this put him up there as second only to Randy Moss in most 100-yard receiving games before or by the age of 23. Uh, Steelers improved to 3-4, and four, and they're just kind of peeking in at the wild card, letting teams know that they're still there, and they're not there yet. But if they would have been 2-5, and five, they would have been pretty much out of it at this point. But 3-4... and four, they have a chance, if everything goes right, to still make the playoffs. As for Miami, they're 0-7. They lost Xavier Howard as they, their top defender and top corner. Uh, he got placed on IR today. I don't know if it's really a knee injury, which is what they said it was. They said there's no ACL or MCL damage. But because of other concerns with the knee, they are going to put him on IR to make sure he was safe and would be healthy going forward. And it makes sense because with that deal, he signed something like five for $73 million as the top paid corner in football. He's obviously a part of their long-term plans. They're not going to trade him. 
And so they want him healthy going forward for next year when the team will be better because they can't be any worse as they have been one of the worst teams in football and maybe one of the worst teams ever. Um, yeah, so that'll do it for the week eight recaps. And one of the things we were doing that we didn't weren't able to record last week, so we weren't able to say the winner, but we had the Homestead Challenge where people sent in their predictions along with the code to get entered into the contest. And it was supposed to be picking the Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night games and the score for the Monday night game. And the winner ended up being Josh Van Dyken, so he wins a round for two to Homestead. Um, great job, Josh. We'll make sure to get that to you. So congratulations to you from both Late Night Shots and Homestead Farm and Golf. So congratulations on your round for two to Homestead. And then we will move on to week nine, but a quick update on the baseball game. Washington scored two more. It's now the bottom of the ninth. It's seven to two Washington with one out. And it looks like this is going to be game seven in Houston. So that'll be Wednesday night on the 30th. So it all comes down to the final game, which is kind of crazy. It's kind of awesome. You have to wonder if the road team's going to be able to win all seven games. Um, and it'd be cool for Washington in their first ever World Series appearance to be able to win it. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, we'll move on to the week nine games. But before we do that, I want to talk about the beer on tonight's podcast brought to you by Overflow Taps. We're drinking the Abyss from Deschutes in Oregon. It's an imperial stout that's aged in Bermud, oak, and Pinot Noir barrels. Uh, Lyndon just got this in. It's tasty but very strong, so make sure to drink responsibly. And one of the great things about Overflow is that when you're in there, for every pint you buy, a quarter is donated to build wells in Africa. It's just a great program. It's a great way to give back, um, kind of feel good about going in there and buying some beer because you know you're helping out. Um, they also have their own podcast. It's the Overflow Taps Craft Beer Experience. You can check that out on your favorite podcast provider. Make sure to send them a message on social media. Mention late night shots. You can be entered to win a merchandise package at the end of the football season. So make sure to check out Overflow Taps on Facebook and Twitter to be entered. Thanks for the beer this week, Overflow. So we'll move on to the week nine games. Uh, the Thursday night game, it maybe it's going to be a little exciting. The Cardinals and Kyler Murray looking pretty exciting and a little little dangerous. Uh, the Cardinals had won three in a row before losing last week. They're 3-4-1 and one now. Niners still looking to keep that undefeated streak going. This game's in Arizona. San Fran is still a 10-point favorite, which means Vegas thinks they're somewhere around 16 points better than the Cardinals. I don't know if I agree with that, but I definitely think the Niners are a better team. Kittle's going to be looking to get into the end zone a little bit more. He only has one touchdown on the year. He's had a whole bunch called back, a whole bunch of long plays called back. And so he may not look that great for fantasy this year, but he's been having a fantastic season. I think the Niners lead the league in rushes per game, or they're right up there in the top couple. Um, Brita is at 450 yards on the season, but the biggest thing for the Niners is going to be keeping Kyler Murray in check. He's been having a great rookie season. Uh, 2,000 yards passing, only seven touchdowns, but he's been pretty accurate so far. Uh, just over 60%, like 63, 64% on the year so far, which is great for a rookie. And Kyler Murray's biggest worry is going to be Bosa. Nick Bosa's making it look like he is the best Bosa in the family after that three-sack and pick week last week against the Panthers. Um, I don't think the 49ers are going to win by 38 again, but anything can happen, especially on Thursday nights. This should be It should be a good game to kick off the week. The Cardinals are feisty enough that with Murray's athleticism um, and the, the Wiley vet and Fitzgerald, they're kind of able to move the ball regardless of who's out there. The one question you have is who's going to be able to run the ball for the Cardinals? David Johnson's been bothered by injuries all year. Chase Edmonds went out last week. They went ahead and traded for Kenyon Drake from Miami. All they had to do was give up a six-round pick, which could conditionally become a fifth based on a couple things. But Drake might be coming there to play and take a bunch of snaps or touches on, on the short week, which could be tough for Arizona. But that'll be the game that starts up the week. And then a game, uh, another division game, it looks like, kicking off the Sunday morning games. And this one is over in London as the Jags and the Texans are playing. Uh, over the years, the Jags have been a very different team, but that was a Blake Bortles type thing. Um, Jags 4-4, four four, Texans 5-3. and three. And you have to wonder if the Jags' two-game streaks continue here, meaning they're going to lose this game. 
Texans really like to play in close games, so you would think this is going to be a close game. Most of the Texans games all year have been. And I guess the the matchup to watch is going to be DJ Chark against the Texans secondary. Chark is averaging, what's that, 18 or like 16 and a half yards per catch. Uh, he's got 39 catches for 660 yards on and six touchdowns. Um, just having a fantastic year so far. He's cooled down a little bit in the touchdown category. I think he had a touchdown in each of the first four games. So only has two in the last four. But he showed that he is a top receiver. And with some of their depth getting cut out due to injury, it's going to be more important for him to have another big game. Uh, Deshaun Watson has picked it up as of late after the tying the NFL record for most games in a row being sacked four more times. He went something like 190 plays in a row without being sacked. So with Laramie Tunsil in there, maybe it is shoring up their offensive line a bit. And as Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson get uh, more comfortable there, they're able to pick up blitzes and kind of learn how Deshaun Watson plays in the backfield and help him out a little bit more. So Deshaun Watson with maybe a dark horse MVP candidacy right now, but with a nice win over in London getting them to 6-3 and three and keeping in range of the Colts or overtaking them depending on how the Colts do this week. You could say that at the halfway point, or just over for them because they haven't had their bye yet, that Watson should be considered for that, especially with how much he's done with that offense. Um, one of the bad news items for the Texans is that J.J. Watt is dumb for the year after suffering a torn peck last week, so we have to see how the defensive line holds up. As they're now without both of their starting defensive ends, depending on what you want to call Clowney, from the beginning of the season, as no Watt, no Clowney means that defense looks a lot different. Someone who's probably not going to have to worry too much about their defense is the Bills, as they are playing the Redskins in Buffalo. Bills didn't play that great against Miami a couple weeks ago when they played them, but Washington is a whole different team. Uh, they're bad without trying, as the Bill or the Dolphins are bad, but they want to be bad. The Redskins just don't quite get it and a lot of that's on Daniel Snyder and Bruce Allen the owner and GM respectively um, it's just going to be hard for the Redskins to do anything against the Bills don't even know who the Redskins are starting at quarterback one of the things to watch is Josh Allen he hasn't done as much as you'd hope at quarterback he's improved more than some of the other young guys but it's just it's a little iffy with him. Um, he's very athletic, and against this Redskins team, that might be enough to have a huge game here. And one of the interesting stats I saw that relates to the Bills is about Frank Gore. This is his, what, 704th year, more like probably 15th year or something in the NFL, and he has always been the leading rusher on every team he's been on every season. And he is... As of now, also with 95 carries for 422 yards and two touchdowns. So he's still averaging four and a half, 4.7 yards per carry, which is a very respectable number for somebody who's that old. I think he's into the top five in rushing yards for a career. So the fact that he just keeps going is, it's really, really impressive. Um, and you just have to wonder how long he can keep going. But with somebody like that, one of the things that is really important to watch about these aging running backs is you can kind of tell when it's about to go because you notice the pad level. If the pad level starts to rise, these guys aren't getting that extra push. They're not turning the two-yard runs into five-yard runs. They're getting pushed back at the line of scrimmage. They're not attacking the hole. But with Gore, he just continues to get down there and chug, and he just everything is four yards, five yards, four yards, eight yards. He's just always getting yards, and it's really impressive at this point in his career. And against that Redskins defense, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a gore game of 15 carries, 90 yards, maybe a touchdown. He's only got two on the year, but just a solid game by Gore that anchors the Buffalo offense and the Bills winning by 17, something like that. What's surprising is the Bills are only nine and a half point favorites. I think these last two weeks have really worried the people in Vegas because at home being nine and a half point favorites means that Vegas only thinks the Bills are six and a half points better than the Redskins, which you would think that everybody but maybe five teams in the league are at least a touchdown better than the Redskins. So you have to wonder, is this the Buffalo team from the first six weeks of the season, first five weeks of the season, or is this the Buffalo team from the last couple of years where it's a good defense, a spotty offense, and that's about it? This next game, once again, if Mahomes was healthy, it's arguably the game of the week. 
um, if not for the Sunday night game. But it is the Vikings going to play the Chiefs. Right now, there's no line on this game because they're still not sure if Mahomes is going to play or not. Chances are he won't, and they'll hold him off until next week. You just want to make sure with a player like him that's that young and that important to the team that you don't bring him back too early. Because if you bring him back too early and one of those slightly strained or sprained ligaments gets messed up, then there goes your season. So you want to make sure he's healthy. Um, But it does sound like, on the other side, Thielen is going to play. mentioned it earlier when I was recapping the Week 8 games that if it was a normal week, he could have played. If it was a team they needed him or a playoff game or something like that, he would have played. But because it was the Redskins, you didn't need him. So that way he can come into this week mostly healthy, probably somewhere in that 90% range. And against the Chiefs secondary, that's probably going to be enough. Um, So you have Diggs and Thielen. And even Dalvin Cook. So all of a sudden you have this great try or yeah, great set of three on offense who's able to do a lot. Um, after the, the really bad start to the year, probably because Minnesota was running the ball a lot. They were kind of trying to get back to like the 80s, 90s type where you're running the ball a ton and the passing game is secondary. They realized for the team to be successful, they need to throw the ball a little bit more. And all of a sudden, at this point in the year, Diggs has 37 catches for 706 yards. So he's averaging 19 yards a catch, which is really impressive. Uh, Cousins, although some people hate him and think he's a horrible quarterback, and Kirk Cousins, enough said, that's their argument. But he's having a really good year. Uh, Over 70%, 2,000 yards, 13 touchdowns at the halfway point. So he's on pace for 4,000 yards and over 25 touchdowns. That, that sounds like a good season to me. And so when you look at 4,000 yards from your quarterback, a running back who's on pace for 1,600 yards and 18 touchdowns, it's probably going to slow down in the second half. But just there's a lot of weapons on this offense. And then when you look at tight end, you have Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. So that's just five weapons on offense for Kirk Cousins to play around with. It's a, a lot for a defense to try and manage and watch and game plan for. And the Chiefs, who don't have that great of a defense and got torn up last week by Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook is leagues better than Jones. Uh, so look for Dalvin Cook to have a big game here. This game's in Kansas City, but it might be early enough in the year, I have not seen the weather report for this one, that you shouldn't really have to worry about the weather in Kansas City unless you get one of those weird torrential downpour rainstorms. But the Vikings should be able to display their weapons enough to beat the Chiefs in this one, which would kind of put the Chiefs at 5-4. and four. And You have to worry a little bit about their season, but with Mahomes coming back, they should be fine. Uh, even though that was one of the games of the week, and you could argue it might be the game of the week, going to the complete opposite here with Jets at Dolphins. I don't even know if I want to talk about this game. Both teams were trying to trade as many of their players as possible. Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Mosley, Preston Williams, Kenyon Drake, anybody with a name that you've heard of was trying to be traded here. Uh, Jets have a win. Dolphins don't. Jets are three-point favorites in Miami. I I don't know what to think about this game. Both teams are trash. The Dolphins have looked decent lately. Uh, They were feisty in the first quarter. They were up 14-0. They are feisty against Buffalo. They've had some, some decent games this year. Um, the Jets had the one game, good game against the Cowboys. But if you are just kind of into self-punishment, this is the game to turn into. In a game that looked a lot better at the beginning of the year, you had the Bears going to Philly to play the Eagles. If you thought that uh, in Week 9 the Bears and the Eagles were playing, you'd expect maybe the Bears to be 5-2 and two and the Eagles to be 6-2, and two, something like that, where both teams maybe have one or two losses. Instead, right now, both teams have four losses, and combined record, these teams are under 500. I would not have expected that. Um, kind of thought Trubisky was going to take a little step up or maybe stay the same. Last year, it was 66, 67% passing. He had a decent season, but this year, it's been totally different. I don't know if that's because Fangio left. He went to Denver, but things are just different in Chicago. And with Philly, mentioned it earlier, they've been very up and down. And it's really hard to tell with them. I know they're getting some of their players back, but it's going to be difficult for Philly um, against this Bears defense, which at the same time, maybe it's not that Bears defense. I know Akeem Hicks is on the IR, which makes it more difficult because you're able to focus a little bit more on Khalil Mack. 
it's it's probably one of the best games of the morning along with that Vikings Chiefs game. But it's just going to be an interesting game to watch because with these two teams, you never know who's going to show up or what aspect of the team is going to show up. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Eagles show up because they could win by 20. But if the Bears show up, they could win this game very convincingly, but in a 13-3 type fashion. And then you have teams of backup quarterbacks because the Colts are traveling to Pittsburgh and you have Jacoby Brissett against Mason Rudolph. Uh, Brissett has looked great. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the year, but people really remembered Brissett from two years ago when he played a lot. Not remember two or three years ago when he played a lot, not remembering that this was a 23 year old quarterback who came from a different team and was traded in week one or at the beginning of the season, who did not get any practice time with the team and was expected to step in right away and produce. And that's something you can ask from very, very few quarterbacks or players in general to produce and run a team at that point in their career. Now that he's been there for a few years, he looks really good. Um, he hasn't thrown the ball a ton, but that's because Marlon Mack's been having a great season. Max, 140 carries, 590 yards, three touchdowns. And the Colts are 5-2. and um, There's favorites here in Pittsburgh. And you have to wonder with Pittsburgh, they haven't looked great really ever this season. Um, the down 14 last week to Miami, that game in San Fran earlier this year where they forced... I don't know if you want to call it forced, but had five turnovers against the Niners and still lost. Um, they just, they continue to, they don't look like Pittsburgh. They look more like a Cleveland under Cincy, which is, it's not good. This is not the type of Pittsburgh you're used to seeing. And the Colts look really good. I don't know if you want to call it the Ewing theory, but Brissett looks good. Indy looks good. And if they win this game, they'll be six and two. And that's a great point to be halfway through the season. Um, so I think this is the the low-key, interesting game to watch. Because if the Colts win and the Steelers lose, you have two teams whose futures are very certain going forward with the Colts being at 6-2 and two and the Steelers being at 3-5, and five, if that's what happens. And I wish the rest of the podcast was here to talk about this next game because we got Titans at Panthers. And Vegas, for some reason, I guess, thinks these teams are even, or just about, because Caroline's a 3.5-point favorite. Uh, Titans are 4-4, four and four, tied for last place in their division, even though they're only a game and a half back. Panthers are 4-3, and three, easily in second place in their division, but when you play with Tampa and Atlanta, that's kind of easy. Um, McCaffrey's having a great season. He's, he's kind of dropping out of the MVP talk, but with another big game. He's had some huge games this year. Uh, talking to Landon before last week's game, he had two games under 65 yards from scrimmage, and all his other games were above 170, I think is what it was. Uh, we had mentioned on an earlier episode something about him being one of two players in history with four games above 160 yards from scrimmage to the first seven, something like that. So McCaffrey's having a huge year, obviously. Um, and you just have to wonder, Kyle Allen looked terrible last week. And is when is Cam Newton going to come back? You know this team needs him for all the talk about, well, look at Kyle Allen, seven touchdowns, no picks. Yeah, but he had six fumbles. He gives the ball up a lot. He's bad with the ball. He now has a negative turnover dif differential on the year. Um, and so the Panthers, they, both teams need this game. Um, with the division the Titans are in, with the NFC being pretty top-heavy, you have to wonder if this is a loser-go-home game in the sense that whoever loses this game is not going to make the playoffs because both teams would have their work cut out for them after that. Because in the NFC, you kind of need 10 wins to make it to the playoffs. So the Panthers lose 4-4, four and four, and that means in the second half, you need to go 6-2. and two. Whereas the Titans, if they lose 4-5, and five, that means you need to go what five and two to get to nine and seven to have a chance. So both these teams, whoever loses, they can only afford two more losses on the rest of the season. Then you got two teams who are. These are probably two of the teams who confuse me the most in the NFL because you got Lions at Raiders. Lions three three and one, Raiders three and four. Both teams look feisty and horrible at the same time. 
Uh, Oakland will show up against some teams. They'll play terrible against some teams. But I maybe Gruden's old school Chucky attitude where, yeah, he put on for hard knocks and all that stuff, but he maybe he's overrated. But he's he's still very football smart. Maybe all those years in the booth taught him a whole different way to coach because um, he's got this team looking pretty good. You have to think that by getting the the first-round picks for Cleo Mack, that he set them up well for the future. Maybe he was taking the total long game here because he had that huge 10-year, $100 million contract. Chances are with them looking to move and doing all that stuff, they're not going to get rid of him. Coaching contracts are 100% guaranteed, usually. Uh, it's kind of hard to find out details about them because coaching contracts are not part of the salary cap, so they don't have to be fully reported. I don't even know if the, the money has to be reported at all. It just kind of comes out what the total is, but you don't hear the details about it. So it could be an Andy Dalton type thing where, yeah, he signed a 6 for 116 or whatever it was, but it's really a 2 for 36 because after that it's all non-guaranteed and whatnot. So maybe his 10 for 100 could be a 3 for 30. But chances are it's fully guaranteed. That's what they normally are. So if he's taking the full long-term view on this, getting those two first-rounders for Cleo Mack, being able to build this team so that once they get to Vegas, that they're a team to be maybe not reckoned with, but semi-worried about. Uh, Josh Jacobs is having a low-key rookie of the year performance so far. Uh, he's averaging nearly five yards a carry. It's 124 yards for 600 or 124 carries for 620 yards and four touchdowns. So he's on pace for another 13 or no, he's on pace for 1400 yards or so and nine, maybe 10 touchdowns because the Raiders are only three and four. They had their buy already on the other side. The Lions are really struggling with their running game now that um, carry on Johnson. And I can say that without having to worry about that dumb song. Carry on Johnson's out for probably the year he was placed on IR with that, the injury. Um, Trey, Trey Jackson, Trey Johnson, something like that. He was supposed to step up last week, um, but there was a different running back who actually outsnapped him. So you have to wonder with the Lions, are they going to be able to run the ball at all? But then again, maybe you have Stafford. And one of the things that I heard about Stafford was when he came into the league, he was very Brett Favre. It's throw the ball, check the ball, gunslinger it. And they tried to pull that back and change him as a quarterback. And when you try and change who a quarterback is, it can make them way less effective because it's something they're not comfortable with. And now Stafford, he's probably going to have full reign to be the quarterback he wants to be. Um, he's been in the league for quite a while, but he's still having a nice season. Through seven games, he's thrown for 2,100 yards and 16 touchdowns already. That means he's on pace for somewhere around 4,500 yards and 34, 35 touchdowns, uh, 64%. And one of the big, big reasons for that is Kenny Galladay. Uh, 508 yards leads the team with six touchdowns. Marvin Jones had a huge week. Last week with four touch or two weeks ago, sorry, with four touchdowns, he was just always open. Um, there's a, another receiver for the Lions who's got deep speed, Marvin Sims, I want to say. So the Lions, they do have a lot of weapons in the passing game on offense. You just have to wonder if the team is going to be too one-dimensional to beat the Raiders in this game. Then you move down to the Bucks at the Seahawks, and you have to wonder if with the Seahawks, is this going to be another game where they play to the level of their competition? If that's the case, expect passing and lots and lots of it, because with Godwin and Evans, if the Seahawks secondary looks like it did against the Falcons where they gave up those 460 yards of passing offense, the Bucks are going to be able to do something similar to that. Jameis has had games like that in the past with Godwin and Evans and Bright and Howard, it's definitely easy to put up a bunch of yards. Godwin's had those, he's had just a bunch of games all year. He's 47 for 705, leads the team in yards. And Evans has had two of the hugest, that's terrible grammar. Mike Evans has had two of the best games by a receiver this year in football. Uh, last week he had the 11 for 180 plus with two touchdowns. Earlier in the year he had a three touchdown near 200 yard game. So Evans can go off. If the team focuses on Godwin, you're leaving one of the top five receivers in football open. And if the team focuses on Evans, you're leading the, leaving this underneath threat 
who can just tear you apart and average 15, 16, 17 yards a catch. So you get, it's really difficult to play the Bucks, but they don't have a running game. They don't have the best defense. And against somebody like Russell Wilson, who it's really weird looking at these stats right now, but Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson have both thrown exactly 250 passes on the year, which makes looking at their passing completion percentage very easy. Uh, so Russell is 68.4 on the year. So he's been very accurate, one of the most accurate quarterbacks in football. If not for that Baltimore game, he would be above 70% on the year. Uh, Russell wants that MVP. He's never had one. And at this point in the year with the Seahawks 6-2, and two, if they're able to get to 7-2 and two here and really make a push for a top three seed, depending on how the Niners and the Packers do, because uh, really the Seahawks are chasing the Niners, and those two games they have left against them are going to be huge. But if Wilson can continue to produce, he's he's got to be one of the people you like for the MVP right now. Um, somebody you do not want for the MVP at all is anybody in the Browns and Broncos. Um Baker Mayfield only has six touchdowns. Nick Chubb has just as many rushing touchdowns as Baker has passing touchdowns. Somebody like Baker, you would expect him with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. to have more than six passing touchdowns on the season so far, especially through seven games. He's averaging less than one touchdown a game. And that's just horrible, terrible, no good, very bad. Uh, Both these teams only have two wins. The game's in Denver, but Vegas really likes the Browns, which I don't quite understand. Uh, Cleveland's three and a half point favorites. Uh, Denver, I think it's three and a half when they play at home because of the altitude. So that means Vegas thinks the Browns are a full touchdown better than Denver, which I don't quite understand. I know that Denver's going to be playing with the backup quarterback, but I think this line came out before that. Um, they've traded away some of their weapons, but with that defense, the defense is looking really good. And it was weird that after Chubb went out, Bradley Chubb, that is, because I know as much as some people wanted, there's no Chubb on Chubb here. Uh, Bradley Chubb went out, and the defense started getting sacks, and they started playing better. I don't know if this is defensive version of the Ewing theory or what's going on here, but the Denver defense has still been looking all right. Uh, It's one of the lowest over-unders of the week at only 39 points, and it would not surprise me to see some kind of 16-13, 17-14, 18, some weird score that's in the teens type game. Last afternoon game of the week is Packers at Chargers here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been having a very up and down season. He'll have incredible games and then he'll have quiet games. He had that game against the Raiders where he threw for five and ran for one. Uh, he almost threw for six, but the the one that was called back, he ended up running in on the next play. So he could have had six passing touchdowns in that game. Uh, Aaron Jones has been very dangerous. On the other side, Chargers ended up holding on to Melvin Gordon, so they have him and Eckler in the backfield. Eckler has looked great all season. Gordon's been a little slow to get going, but you have to wonder if that's from the holdout. And then one of the most underrated receivers in the game who, knock on wood, he's he's been healthy through half the season so far. He's got 617 yards through eight games as Keenan Allen, and it's just always somebody Phillip Rivers can look to. You have to wonder, though, if this Chargers offense is finally coming to that wall, if that window is fully closed because Rivers is 38. I want to say he was, he was part of that 2003 draft class with Roethlisberger and Manning. So as of right now, he's the last man standing slash healthy. You just have to wonder if it's if it's too late for him. But uh, it, it should be interesting to see if Phillip Rivers can bring it one more time and we can get one of those nice high-scoring games to counteract the Browns-Broncos game. And then I know it might be biased here, but game of the week is Patriots at Ravens. Uh, I think I saw this stat right, that the Patriots' defense has only given up 24 points on the season, which seems very weird. I don't know if it's if that's right or not, but or if it's excluding extra points. But I feel... I feel more confident than not confident in saying that the Ravens score more than 24 in this game. Uh, if the weather is decent, it's going to be insanely hard for the Patriots to cover Lamar Jackson. Uh, the leading rusher in this game for both teams is actually Lamar. 83 carries for 576 yards at this point in the season through only seven games. That means Lamar is on pace for 1,250 yards or so, maybe a little bit more than that. And 
if if the weather's decent and if Lamar is able to keep his footing, he's impossible to stop. Even when the weather's bad, he's really difficult to stop. And it's not that he is as fast as Michael Vick, but it's that he's able to go from full speed to zero and back to full speed faster than anybody you've almost ever seen, especially to play the quarterback position. Because there are plays and there are highlights where you see with him where he goes and he makes a move and you have to wonder if the screen froze or if something weird happened because all of a sudden he just stops. And it's just something that teams have never seen before. But if anybody's going to be able to counteract that, it's the Patriots. And this team has been able to make Sam Darnold see ghosts. They've, I think, I think it's right that they have given up 24 points and their defense has scored 28 points, 27 points, something like that. So the defense is responsible for more points than they've given up. It's kind of like the Madison Bumgarner thing back when the Giants won the World Series that year where he was responsible for more runs than he gave up. That's what their defense is doing right now. But when you look at who the Patriots have played, I don't think they've played a team that's not in the bottom 12 in offense. And the Ravens are second or third in offense, I think. So it's going to be a whole different ballgame. And what's great is this is on Sunday night. So everyone's going to be watching. Um, and it, it's one of the games of the week. And it should just be a great game to have on Sunday night. And it's back-to-back weeks where you have just a fantastic game on Sunday night to end uh, another great day of football. And at least on Monday night this week, you have a better game to finish the week because you have Cowboys at Giants. Um, It's not hard to beat anything the Dolphins are involved in, especially when it involves this year's version of the Steelers. But with the Cowboys leading the division, the Giants with Saquon back and, and healthy, it should be a good game, especially being in New York, which means they'll, they'll have a chance at this game. Uh, When it's a primetime game and it's Cowboys and anybody in their division, normally it's close. Uh, I know we talked about that before when it was Cowboys-Eagles, but that game was weird because it was two fumbles on the Eagles' own side of the field, which it's it's very, very difficult to overcome that. The Giants could do the same thing when you have Daniel Jones, the rookie, going up against this Cowboys defense, which is pretty good. It's It's had a really good season, but... I, I would say if this is a, if you're looking for a game where you want to watch running backs, this is easily the game because you have Zeke versus Saquon. And it could be like the Browns-Broncos game where it's in the teens, maybe low 20s. Um, even though Vegas has the over-under at 48, I don't expect it to hit that. I would think it'd be a little lower than that. And it should be a nice game to finish the week. And depending if the Cowboys can contain Saquon, I think they win this game. But if Saquon's able to get loose and have some big plays. I think it was last year where the Cowboys held Saquon to under three yards on 18 of his 20 touches, something like that on all but two touches. But on the two touches, he got over three yards. It was like 65 yards and 60 yards or something like that. So he can bust the big play. So you have to contain him all game. So if the Cowboys are able to do that, I think they win this one handily. Uh, That finishes up the games for the week. So we'll hop over to gambling. Uh, last week was a very solid week for Alex and I because he copied me. Uh, we were both 3-0. So I go to 15-9 and on the year, um, up 5-10. Alex is still in last, but he's up to 14-10, and up $300. And Brad, because he had an undefeated week 7, is 8-4. and But maybe we won't count that one. I don't know yet. He's not here, so he doesn't get to argue about it. Uh, first game of the week. And the only one that Alex and I disagree on is Texans at Jaguars because Alex is full on the Colts wagon. He goes against the Texans whenever he can, and he's all about that Minshew mustache magic. Uh, Texans playing in Jacksonville are they're two and a half point favorites, even though they're in Jacksonville. Uh, I think the Texans win by a field goal or more. I know that they play in close games a lot of the time, but I think they win somewhere in that three to seven point range. Um, and that the Jaguars follow their policy on the year of winning two, losing two, or no, losing two, winning two, losing two, winning two. So they're going to start another little losing streak here. And the Texans take that game. Then we move into what was a pick when I looked at these lines is Colts at Steelers. Uh, Colts seem like they are a full touchdown better than the Steelers, at least when you're talking about a neutral field. I figured the Colts were going to be something like four-point favorites in this game. 
I know the Steelers get a little bit extra and even more because of public money. They're one of the few teams that you have to give more than three points when they're at home because there's so many fans around the nation that people bet on them regardless of if they should or not. But still at Pickham, I think the Colts win this game, so that's why I'm taking them even though it's in Pittsburgh and Alex agrees. Final game of the week is the one I said was the or final game for the week is the one I said was the game of the week is Baltimore against New England. That game's in Baltimore. New England's a three and a half point favorite. Um, I think Baltimore's offense is enough and so different than anything New England has seen that this is a three point game, regardless of who wins, somewhere in the 24, 21, 27, 24 type range. Um, with the Ravens' running game, how strong it's been. I don't know if New England's going to be able to stop the offense like they have done with other teams. New England's offense is still pretty good when you have the GOAT back there, and Baltimore's defense hasn't been great. Uh, it looks like they might be getting Jimmy Smith back, along with some other pieces on the defensive side. But with another defensive lineman going out for the Ravens, it's going to be really diff difficult for them to get any pressure on Brady. But maybe it'll be a... A hidden advantage like it was in the Seahawks game where there's no pass rush for someone like Russell Wilson to get outside the pocket and take advantage like he normally does so if there's no one to pressure Brady maybe you just don't bring those guys it's really tough to tell with Brady but before I get too deep into it this is just gambling and the thoughts on it so I got Baltimore Baltimore to stay within three and a half uh, remember it's only betting 110 to win a hundred on these uh, and only do it where gambling is legal uh, that's it for the week. Hopefully you liked the episode where it was just me. Uh, thanks once again to Overflow for providing the beer for this episode. It was fantastic. Um, and I guess we will catch you next week. Insert sign off here.